Welcome to Stories of Recovery. My name is Matt Shedd, and this is the show in which we take a documentary-style approach to having people share their recovery stories. We're going to focus on Katie in this episode and her experience of spiritual transformation that occurred through working the 12 steps. Let's dive right in. I was 19 years old. It was at Kennesaw State University. I mean, it was just a whirlwind, honestly. Uh, We had gotten some mushrooms that night. We were smoking, we were drinking, and we were at some apartment and our car got stolen. And we actually called the cops and because we thought we were the victims, we weren't gonna get in trouble. But of course we had drugs and alcohol on us and we were minors. So they politely arrested me and I remember just feeling hopeless. It was the third time in nine months that I had gotten arrested. And the next day I called my mom and I said, I got arrested again, I need help. And she said, what kind of help? And I said, I don't know, just serious help. I can't keep doing this. Like I told her if I had a gun in my dorm room, I would have killed myself. I was just, I was done. I was, I was just tired. That was Katie narrating the last night of her using before checking into Mar but her substance abuse issues ran much deeper in her life. So I was 15 years old. I started drinking and smoking weed pretty much every weekend, I would say. I was a blackout drinker from the very beginning. And then my grandmother passed away uh, shortly after I started drinking and using, and that's what just started everything. Uh, my grandmother was my best friend. And so I thought my world was over and I was off to the races. That's right after my grandmother died. I started using cocaine and that allowed me to drink more. So I was doing coke, smoking weed and drinking and, um, all while living in my parents' house and, um, I'm still kind of impressed with myself that I was able to hide it as well as I did. Unfortunately, I stole a lot of money from my parents to support my cocaine habit. I was I had a job, but it still it just wasn't enough. And so I stole a lot of money from them. And my mom pulled me out of one of my final exams my senior year of high school. And I'm I'm tall. I'm like 5'10, 5'11. My mom is like five foot nothing. So she comes and pulls me out of high school. And she's never really scared me, you know? But my five-foot-nothing mom scared me that day. She th- she pulled into the bank, and she said, we'll go look at cameras if you don't tell me the truth. You know, I just broke down and told her it was me, and I told her that, you know, the death of my grandmother really, really hurt me, and... You know, I was spending money to change the way I felt. And she said, you know, once we got home, she said, okay, well, go show me all the things that you bought. And I couldn't because it was drugs and alcohol, you know? So I just, like, go in my room and try to gather as much as I can. And I'm just, you know, doing this sob story, pity party. Like, you guys don't understand how I feel. They're not very emotional people, whereas I am. Um, So... I was just, you know, pointing the finger and being the victim, playing the blame game. 
And they asked me once, like, are you drinking and using drugs? And I said no, and they believed me. And that's what my mom has said, you know, throughout this whole, like, our whole experience with recovery. It's, she said she's always trusted me, which, you know, it's not always favored, you know, for her, but, um, you know, it is what it is. I will mention that I was also adopted when I was a baby. So there was this always this missing link of like, who am I? Where did I come from? Um, why was I placed in the family that I was? And so I, f- I know that I felt very, I lacked this like love and connection that I looked for in drugs and alcohol. I wanted just to like to feel loved and not like a burden. And Then came that fateful night at 19 years old when Katie was at Kennesaw State. She was on probation, and she desperately wanted to avoid jail time, despite the despair that she described feeling when she was arrested for her third time in nine months. She still wasn't committed to recovery. I wanted to stop feeling the way I did at that moment right then. Um, And I, I honestly didn't know what that looked like. I mean, I remember one of my friends went into rehab at some point, But it was like, oh, man, he's in rehab. Yeah, he probably should be. All right, let's keep, you know, drinking and using. And so I just had no knowledge of anything. I had no knowledge of treatment. I had no no knowledge of recovery, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Her last arrest actually violated the terms of her probation and would have landed her in jail had her probation officer found out. Katie got away with it, for a while at least, and was able to start her treatment at Mar. I was just like this naive, honestly, little girl that really, I hadn't grown up yet. I just, and I was scared, you know, um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I felt welcomed. I do remember feeling welcomed into the community right away. I remember some of my interactions, the Things that stuck out to me that I can still remember today. One is Courtney Robbins, who I love dearly. She just, she knows me. She's known me since the day I walked in tomorrow, you know, the day I got sober. Everyone did her first step in feeling school. She would read the promises and she would like look you in your eyes and like say your name and make it very, you know, just individualized. And I could just tell that she cared. And like I said, my parents weren't very, aren't very emotional people. It's rather difficult for me to think all the way back to when she came in because her, her presence, her demeanor, her confidence changed so dramatically, even in the early parts of her treatment, that it's, it's hard to recapture like what that before time was. That's Kendall Weinberg. She was the director of the Women's Recovery Center at Mar at the time of Katie's treatment. The confidence was not there. Um, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, hesitancy. And that seemed like it's almost hard for me to describe her that way. It seems so strange based on who I came to know her to be as she went through her recovery process, um, which was just gregarious, energetic, um, 
so loving, so supportive to her community members, brand new, you know, been there forever. It didn't matter. Katie was going to be in their corner and also, you know, tell them the truth pretty strongly when they needed to hear it. Even as Katie progressed well through treatment, it was clear that some of her issues present before Mar were still going to be there when she was done. I remember it was family week and my mom kind of just like put on a show and even, and that's words coming from a counselor. And, and I just, I walked out of there defeated. And I remember that counselor who was actually the director at the time, Kendall, she came to me and she just validated everything that I felt. And I just, you know, I stopped feeling alone. And that's when I, I think, you know, at some point, the victim role that I was playing, it, you know, it stopped working. And I think that role like started diminishing um, when I would get the validation that like, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe, you know, the relationship with me and my parents, cause that was a big one for me, especially just being 19, you know, like I was out of the house for a year, a little over a year before I was put into treatment. So my parents relationship, that, that was a huge trigger for me. And just to get validation that, you know, I'm not crazy. Well, you know, questionable, but. As she was further along in her treatment, she met our following guest, Trisha, a new client who is just entering treatment, older than her, but impressed with her character. You might also remember Trisha from episode 75 of this podcast, if you want to hear her whole story. I remember being very shocked at how young she was. She was dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. She also had a lot of legal consequences that she was dealing with, which was something that I could relate to because I too was in treatment due to legal consequences. I was there when she went back to jail. So like I said, I was on probation. And when I went into Mar, my probation officer did not know about the third arrest. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, just... Actually, she didn't know about my second arrest either. And I wasn't really just, like, willing to give her that information when I went to go to my probation, you know, meetings. So within a few days, you know, they had me call her when I was in Mar and tell her about it. And so obviously I had to go to court. And I had just started job phase and been offered a job. And maybe like, a, I don't even know if I had started, maybe a week within the job. I had a whole crew at my at court. I had my parents. I had my sister. I had Courtney. I had Kendall, a girl that I was in treatment with, and my new boss. So I had this, you know, line of people pretty much just saying, like, representing me and representing my character and pretty much telling the judge that, you know, there's no, me going to jail would, would not benefit anybody. So for, for people who knew me for 35 days, maybe to, you know, drive out to Cobb County and take the time to defend me and 
defend who they believe I am and who I can be. Uh, it was just a big deal. And we, gosh, we were all waiting with bated breath to see how that was going to turn out for Katie because we were so much in her corner. We had seen, we had seen her true essential self and what she was capable of and, and doing with her life even at the time. And though she was not the person she used to be, but also recognizing that choices have consequences, even if they were made, you know, during an active addiction, there's, there are still consequences for those behaviors. And I think that was the most impressive thing for me to witness with Katie. And I think probably a lot of her community members as well was her courage and bravery in accepting that and facing that. And I know it was scary and no one would, actively choose that but she took accountability for that unfortunately i ended up going to jail for 30 days it wasn't enjoyable you know but i knew that there was an end to it i knew i was getting out i knew that i was able to go back to mar and i remember you know Fortunately, I was able to be a trustee while I was in there, so I was able to work four day, four hours of the day, so it would make the time go a little bit faster. And I remember, I remember one of the guards saying, like, I know I'm not going to see you back here. Like, you do not belong here. And I didn't, you know, I just, I didn't, I, I just, it's, oh, it's just a horrible experience, but it's degrading. It's just, it's horrible. I just remember thinking it was so bizarre that someone was in treatment and that they were going to go put her in jail. And here I was being let out of jail to go to treatment. So it really, for me, was very scary because I thought, well, this could happen to me too. And I thought treatment was almost like a safe place. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like your get out of jail free card. And here she was having to go deal with the consequences and then go deal with that while not being drunk or being high. Like she had to feel all of it and it was a lot. And just I remember just thinking how resilient she must be that she was willing to go deal with her consequences and then come back to treatment after getting out of jail. Like that's where she wanted to be. Like she wanted to be at Mar. And then I remember my, you know, my dad came and picked me up. It was Valentine's Day when I got released and they took me out to lunch. We went back to my parents' house for a little bit. And I just remember crying. And my mom's like, why are you crying? You just got out of jail. And I'm like, yeah, like, listen to what you just said. You know, like I just got out of jail. I just, you know, I just spent 25 days in this horrible, horrible environment. Of course I'm crying. I'm like releasing emotions. Like, again, they just didn't understand me at that time. And, and I just told him, I'm like, please just take me back tomorrow. You know, like and for someone to like, just take me back to rehab, you know, it's, I never would have thought those words would come out of my mouth, but I was so excited to get back, like to get back to a community and to people that understood me and understood why someone might be crying when they get out of jail. Courtney and the girls, they all would write me letters, all the girls in Mar. And Courtney typed me a letter, and I have all those still today. Um, Like almost 13 years later, I still have all of those letters. 
you know, they didn't, it, it's not necessary for them to do any of that. And, uh, so it, that was, that was a big thing. Um, but small scenes of being heard and loved, um, really just like most of my experience at Mar, just like for them to take time and to care. And, you know, it's them doing their jobs, but the way that they do it and they really just make the effort to make you feel, you know, like they want you to be there and they want you to succeed if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know. Back at Mar, Katie picked right back up where she left off, being an example and bright spot of energy for people in treatment while she completed her aftercare. Even when she was months into her stay in three-quarter, like she was an old-timer, so to speak, if we had a new client came in, that came in and she happened to be at the center, she, there was never a bigger welcome than they got from Katie. And she would just it, the genuineness with which she would do that was palpable. And I, I'm grateful, you know, as, as the director of that center, that she was such a wonderful representative to, to new folks who were coming in or had just entered treatment. She had this ability to be incredibly compassionate, incredibly generous, but also she had that integrity that was going to be like, also, you can't do that stuff anymore. Like, that's a terrible idea. Stop doing that. You can't do that here. You know, it was that balance of compassion and truth that she was able to convey with a lot of integrity, but also a lot of humor, frankly. Like, Katie is hilarious. Katie is hilarious. Some of my early memories are once I became alumni, which is when you move over to phase three, you became alumni and the Women's Alumni Association was just starting up really to start doing events then. And they rented out like the whole skating rink and we had a big 80s night party there. And I just remember, you know, Katie was full-fledged, decked out in 80s gear, head to toe, you know, skating at the skating rink. Anytime you went out to dinner, Katie was there. I remember um, even like, a few years after I left Mar, going back and volunteering with phase one and phase two clients and phase three and them being like, we don't know how to make friends in sobriety. And I specifically told them, go to this AA meeting and find Katie Summers and you will, you will you'll be good. She'll be good. And that's exactly what they did. And I, now they've been like lifelong friends for years and years and years. Katie's gotten married and had two kids, and she's still a bright spot, not only in people's memories, but in their present lives as well. She's a beautiful mom. It's easy to see how that exuberance and joy would come in handy in being in that role and to be able to still support other women in recovery while building that aspect of her own family and personal life at the same time. That's a tough balance to still find that time to serve, find that time to go to alumni meetings or spirituality groups or, you know, sponsor folks. That's a different balance of time and energy once she's got two little ones running around and a spouse to deal with. So yeah, she's, she's blossomed into a, a beautiful woman and mom and wife and sponsor and alumni. It's been lovely to see. It's a whole life she's gotten to build since she made those changes at 19. 
And in my head, she's still 19 years old, you know? So it's like, I, I was kind of always like the mom of the girls because I was the only one that had a kid and things like that. So it's always just blows my mind to see like her whole adult life go, you know, go through. And she's also gone through a lot of heartache and a lot of tragedy in her sobriety, but she's always been very willing from what I understand to work on those things and to talk about those things. And we've talked back and forth about marriage and struggles and things that happen when you have kids. And um, it was always so funny to me whenever she would reach out to me, because in my opinion, she's above me. You know what I mean? She came first. So to hear her reach out to me, I was always like, me? You want to talk to me? Like, so it was a little mind blowing. But um, it's just really neat to watch someone just come in so young, get it, do the deal. And then they're basically their whole adult life, they've gotten to be sober and had a program to work and really have worked in and been an amazing example for others. And though it hasn't been simple or easy, there's been reconciliation with her parents as well. You know, we have a great relationship today. They're very involved in my life. They're involved in my kids' lives. And I mean, they moved from our childhood home to be closer to me, you know, so they didn't move farther. They moved closer so they could be, um, part of our lives, but it is, it's just so sickening to think about what, I mean, who I would hurt to get what I needed. I was actually just talking to my mom. My parents actually come over every week or we do dinner every week. And I was actually, I said something about the promises, like we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And we were talking about that. If she had regrets or if I had regrets and, um, you know, it's, and that's when she said the, you know, you made amends and you're doing so you're, you know, you're doing great and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so today, like, and I think that's the thing. It just keeps coming back. Like keeps me coming back is the promises are still coming true today. Like I still recognize that like, you know, I'm not as selfish as I once was, or I'm not this, you know, crappy human being that I thought I once was. But I think there were several moments where I just, when I felt heard and loved, and it sounds so simple, but it's such a big thing for me and Mar, I was like, okay, like I can do this. These people understand me. Maybe I do belong here. You know, um, they became family to me. You know, I needed the structure. I needed the routine. I needed to, someone to tell me, like, what to do, when to do it, where to be. And I needed to do that with a group of women that understood me and that got to know me and loved me. And in a place where I felt safe enough to share the emotions and feelings and thoughts that I drank and used over. I needed a safe place to get all of that out, to start getting it all out. You know, it, just before I had my second kid, like I was going through motions with Courtney in therapy, you know, 13 years later. So it's like, you know, Mars just a start, but it was a start and a foundation that was laid out for me that allowed me to feel safe and to feel like, okay, just because I feel this way doesn't mean like one, I'm crazy or two, I'm a burden or like, it's okay to feel all of this stuff. 
to be able to do that with a group of women and a group of counselors that just literally like just hold your hand through it all to teach me how to do that is just was key for me and then like I said you know I was taught so much in halfway and then I was able to go out in three quarters into the you know real world but still in the mar bubble um and apply all that stuff take that stuff to you know college take it to a job and apply it to the real life to my real life um and start making you know other relationships and so just the safety net the routine i needed it and you know sitting in mar some days i'm like when is this when am i ever going to get out of here am i ever going to get out of here you know you just couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel but you know years after i can sit here and say i would do it all over again absolutely i hope i never have to let's just yeah. let's just put that disclaimer in there all right with that we want to thank you for listening to stories of recovery we should give a special thanks to kendall trisha and of course katie for speaking with us on today's episode Stories of Recovery is a production from Mar Addiction Treatment Center in Atlanta. I'm Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you'd like to send us a message, email us at podcast at marinc.org. That's podcast at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Thank you so much for joining us, and we're already looking forward to next time.